0: The following sermon is by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647-US12-WEST in Edwardsburg. We hope you are encouraged by the following message. God, thank you for today. Thank you for what you did for us on the cross. Um, God, I uh, just want to take a second here as, as that song reminded us and I need you. I need you as I attempt to share your word today, but I pray most importantly that your word is what is left in our ears when we walk out today and not mine. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, uh, so Dan came to me a while back and uh, asked me if I wanted to preach this week, and I kind of told him sure, and he was still in town. I was like, you want to flip jobs and we'll just like do the whole you preach there and I preach here thing. Um, So he gets to come. I think he's doing some apologetic stuff tonight with our teens and I get the opportunity to share with you guys and I'm pretty excited about what God has uh, me to share with you because when I started preparing all of this, I had a great idea of what Josh wanted to share. Right? And I, I started digging into it and couldn't find the right passage to prove what I wanted to say, um, which is not the right way to go about it. And after about three hours of me you know, beating my head against my own wall that I created for myself, uh, I realized what I was doing. And I had to step away. I ripped up my notes. I threw them in the garbage, and I had to just take a stroll around the church for a little bit and pray and repent for doing that and then say, hey, God, what do you want me to share? And, and that's where this is coming from. And I'm super excited because hopefully somebody, including myself, needs to hear this today because God put it on my heart uh, through my preparation and not what Josh is wanting to say. So please ignore any trips over my own words and hear the truths that God has to share with us today through Ephesians chapter 2. This summer, uh, we got to go to a beautiful part of Michigan, and we went up to the UP, and some of you may have been up there before. And when you go on hikes, hikes are fun. However, when you go on hikes with little kids, it's a whole nother ball game. Um, it's no longer like, hey, we're just going to the, dis- you know, going to the destination and hiking along. It's come on, come on, come on, and you're looking like this way halfway down the trail, you know, and. So we picked an awesome one where we actually went to the Lake of the Clouds. Is my clicker? No, it's not on. There we go. That helps. Um, we went to the Lake of the Clouds. If any of you guys have been there, it's up in, uh, near the Porcupine Mountain area in the UP. And this was a perfect destination partly for kids. It's perfect in the fact that it's paved and it's really, really short. So you can park up there, and then you just walk a little ways, and you get this awesome view. It's not so perfect in the fact that you'll notice Ashland's about the height of that wall, and that wall is very old-looking, and little kids like to wander. There's also gaps in the wall where they can, like, move out and kind of sit on the cliff edge. It's super scary. So I'm not a parent who walks around with, like, the leash on their kids, but in that moment, I was kind of like, where's the leash? Um, because I was a little terrified. So I didn't get to enjoy the sights as much just because, one, I had a child strapped to me, but we were also trying to wrangle and keep our kids safe. But it was such a good hike for our kids that when we ended, we were like, hey, let's go do another hike because it wasn't too hard for our kids. We like hiking, we like being outdoors. And so Hannah starts flipping through the pamphlet for our road trip back and trying to find a hike that's kind of on our way back. And she finds this one where you're supposed to be able to hike about a mile, and you're able to see some old stuff from mining, people were doing on a river and things like that. And so we were excited about it, and we we got on our hike, and we started wrapping around, and the, the initial loop kind of went around and then came back to the parking lot, but the map showed that the mile loop went on the other side Side of the road, and then came back, kind of like a big figure eight type deal. I think we misread the map, because the first one, we went around it, my kids were having a good time, we played in the creek, it was a great time. We got back to the parking lot, and we're like, okay, it's about half over, my kids are doing good, let's keep going. So we went to the, the next part of the trail, and we kept walking away from the parking lot, and further and further and further away, and Hannah and I start looking at each other like, are, did we get on the wrong trail, or are we like just embarked on a 13-mile hike and didn't realize it, you know, with our four little ones and one of them being lugged in a backpack. And slowly, this trail kind of starts arcing like it's supposed to on the map, but the Picture showed them being the same size, and they were not the same size. Um, and so we slowly start arcing back, and I'm like, "No, let's let's keep going." I'm pretty sure we're heading back towards the parking lot. And my wife was like, "You realize like the further we go, when you finally decide you're wrong, the further we have to come back, right?" And I'm like, "No, we're heading back towards the park. We're heading back towards the parking lot." And I was pretty convinced, and and I, turns out I was kind of right. It, it dumped out on the road that the parking lot was on, about 200 plus yards up from the parking lot. Um, So thankfully, when I like poked out on the road, I was able to look down and kind of see the entrance into the parking lot, and I was like, I was right! Not really. Um, But during that whole time, we were questioning which way and whether we were right and whether we were lost, and the whole time our map maybe wasn't leading us where we thought it was leading us. And today, as we we take a look at what Paul has to say in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul addresses our past, our present, and our future. And sometimes things in our past, like the trail we went on, we try to forget. And some things in our past, we look back fondly, like this awesome picture with my family and a nice, beautiful, simple hike. And sometimes we forget to look back at all, and we forget things that we have done in the past or where we came from in the past. And that's part of what Dan was talking about as we went through Joshua, that God kept bringing them back. And Causing them to have things to remember. And Paul starts off by talking about where they were as he begins Ephesians chapter 2. So we're going to take a look at our past first. And he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin, or in your trespasses and sin. And this word dead means exactly what you think it means it means you were dead. Not, not you were breathing, kind of. Not you were on life support. You were dead. It was the the equivalent of like going down to the morgue and trying to talk to somebody. They're they're not gonna talk back to you. You're you're as dead as dead can be. And to, to give you an example of why Paul's using this terminology is he, he's trying to draw attention to the fact that it's less about the individual sin that you committed and more about the thing you didn't do or the goal you didn't complete. Now, what I mean by that, before you, you mistake me, it doesn't matter whether you are a liar or a thief or a, somebody who cheated on their math test in high school. Whatever it was made you not achieve holiness. Uh, An example from John MacArthur's kind of study on this was if I walked up to a river and I said the goal is to jump over this river and I took my son up, he's five, and he tries to jump. He might land a couple of feet into the river and then maybe I try to jump and I jump maybe a couple more feet into that river And then I get the the world's longest long jump person, which I was trying to find that, and there's a whole bunch of different, but it's roughly 29 feet. So this person jumps. If we were down at the St. Joe, they're never gonna make it across the river, right? So that person did awesome, but still failed. And so the only good we can see is in comparison to other failures. And if we really take a look at what the goal was, we're all still floating down the river because we didn't make it to the goal. And that's the idea of dead. Meaning you you could be awesome in the things that you did here on this earth, but if you miss the gospel, then you just splashed into the river and you're getting drifted down current. You could be somebody who's awful and didn't do anything for other people your whole life, and you're still floating down current. We are all equally dead. And then Paul does something really weird. He, he says that we're dead, and then in the very next, actually kind of like a continuation of the same sentence, he says, in which you once walked. Wait a second. Dead people don't walk. You, you just said we're, we're dead, and now you're saying we're walking. And I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But it says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and whereby nature or sorry, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So again, this idea of wait a minute, we walked, so our past we were dead and we were walking. So does that make us like the walking dead kind of thing? Like are we zombies? Not exactly. What the the word walk here actually is a Greek word that's pronounced, let me make sure I say it right here, peripateo. And it means to tread around or to follow as a companion. So in this example that we had of us jumping across the river, not only are we dead and we didn't achieve walking across the river, we're actually walking with a different companion. And if we look back at our verse here, the companion you're walking or following in this case is the prince of the power of the air and following the course of this world. So we have our river. You're supposed to jump across it. We can't even make it across it. And instead of doing that, we have Satan who's saying, hey, follow me. Let's take the scenic route and walk next to the river. So our goal is to do that, but we're not even doing that. We're not even trying to make it, you know, as far as Andrew made it into the river. We're taking the scenic stroll along the side of the river and completely missing the goal altogether. And we're following a new goal, which is our own flesh and our own desires as people who don't know Jesus. So we have a companion who we're following, and we're dead. And that companion is leading us to eternal death or eternal separation from Christ. So as we look at our past, the way Paul describes us, not exactly a pretty picture. I don't like, you know, if I came in and I was trying to speak to you guys today, and you're like, man, his message was really dead today. It's not how we really like to be described. And then if we went a little bit further and we're like, well, it's super dead, but like he also wasn't going the right way at all. He was kind of leading us away from the Bible. Then it would be the epitome of the opposite of what the goal was. If my goal here is to preach the gospel and I start not only being super flat and boring, but I'm also leading you away from the scriptures, then I've failed completely. And that's where Paul has us. That's where Paul has the Ephesians, and he has a purpose behind why he's reminding them, and we'll get to there at the end, but now we get to move into our present, and the present is that moment of salvation and where you are currently at right now. And, uh, sorry, I got to f- click back through the slides, I went backwards, there we go. So now we're in our present, and Paul starts diving into Ephesians 2, verse 4, and we see the two, some of the, the coolest two words in the whole Bible, we see, but God, right? Not us, but God. And every time we see that, it's actually about 45 times we see it in scriptures, awesome things are right around the corner. Every time the phrase, but God happens, awesome things happen next. Here, here's a couple of examples. In Acts 3.15, it says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. In Acts 7, 9, it says, And the patriarchs, that's uh, Joseph's brothers, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him. And we know the story of Joseph and how that ends and how God basically saves the entire nation of Israel through Joseph's life. And then Romans 5, which last time I spoke, I, I taught from Romans 5, we see, but God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, or we could insert, while we were dead walking, Christ died for us. So every time we see that phrase, it's time to get excited because awesome things are just about to happen and we get to take a look. And this is, remember, this is the present. This is right now. We get to be excited about this right now. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now, you'll notice here there's a couple little hyphens that block off the by grace you've been saved. Some of you in your Bibles might see parentheses. Basically, what Paul is doing here is interjecting a reminder that doesn't quite fit the flow of the text. So it really would read better if it said, uh, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up. But Paul doesn't want them to forget. He's gone all of like two sentences and he's back to reminding them where you came from and how you got to where you are. And he says, by grace you have been saved and raised up. Uh, raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places. So the two things that we get to see in our present is, first, we are made alive. We see that in verse 5, there it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we made us, uh, he made us alive together with Christ. And the idea of us being made alive, is we are now in a new, uh, like, purpose in our life. We we are no longer following the ways of the devil. We are now alive, and we have new goals. And Paul actually elaborates on that when he says we are seated with Christ. And this seems like a weird thing to say, Josh, you're saying this isn't our present, like, right now? Like, Jesus isn't physically sitting next to me. I'm not up in heaven. But it, it says that we are seated with Christ, not you're going to be seated with Christ. So we have to kind of take a look here and say, what? well, what does that even mean? Let, let me give you an example of, of what this means. I was a teacher for six years as a, as a PE teacher, athletic director. For four of those years, I was at Granger Christian School. And for two of those years, I was at Countryside Academy. While I was at Countryside Academy, one of their main goals was obviously it's a school, is to teach children. The other main goal of the school was to point kids towards farming. They had a huge, I think it's FAA is how you say it, program that they would, they actually built a huge barn there. They would raise pigs on campus. They would raise ducks and turkeys, and they would teach kids the skills they needed to be able to get into farming. So that was one of their big goals. And then at Granger Christian, again, it's a school, so one of the primary goals is to educate kids. However, the overarching goal and the big thing we are trying to encourage kids towards was the gospel and how does Jesus impact your life, how does Jesus impact your education. And that is exactly what we see with this idea of being seated with Christ. We were walking or following a companion that was the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, or, you know a school that is following the the whole idea of this I you know following Satan and then now we are in a new place seated with Christ with a new companion to follow we have somebody else that we are going to to track after and we have new goals in our present right now we are completely shifted schools so to speak and even though life is part of both of these goals, the way we are headed now is back towards that river to jump over it, so to speak. But now we have Jesus, by his mercy and his grace, says, use the bridge that I created for you because you can't jump it no matter how hard, how hard you tried." So our present shows us that we are alive and we have a new person to follow or we are seated with Christ. Paul then and jumps into verse 7 where he starts describing our future. And we can, just like we can get excited about what God's doing for us right now, we can get doubly as excited about what's going to happen. Because we know that this, where we are right here today, is not permanent. And Paul says in verse 7, So that in the coming ages he might show you immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Coming ages refers to eternity. None of us can live for multiple ages in a row. It's referring to in the coming ages or eternity, we get to have the privilege of immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus just dumped on us. Those riches that are immeasurable. It's like, you know, if I was up here and money was just falling out of my pocket to anybody who wanted it. That's the kind of grace that we get to ex- experience for eternity. Or we could input, we get to see God's love dumped on us for the rest of eternity. For by grace you have been saved through faith. If you notice, again, we we just went like two verses down, and here's Paul saying, Hey, don't forget, don't forget how you got here. You didn't get here on your own. And then he says, and it's not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. These two verses are probably one of the most commonly quoted gospel verses in the Bible. But Paul just talked about how they were dead in their sins, and he's reminding them that no matter how far you jumped, you get to enjoy a river ride because you were dead and walking in the wrong direction. Don't forget that it was God, but God brought you out of that. And we forget that often. Remember at the beginning I talked about how we uh, sometimes we have things in our past we try to forget, and sometimes we have things in our past that we just forget, and we act like they didn't happen. And Paul is saying basically to the Ephesians, hey, I know it's been a sentence you probably already forgot. Let me remind you again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. This is an awesome truth, that, that we have a God who created the universe, sustains the universe, created all of us, but also took the time to create a purpose just for you. And so as we look at our, uh, our two things that we see in our future here, I just want to draw your attention to that last word where it says walk. That's the same exact Greek word where it's to, to walk around or to follow as in a companion. But we have a new companion, as we just talked about, that we are seated with Christ. So our new companion brings a new purpose to our life and a new direction that was tailor-made for you. Hannah went to a uh, uh, fashion show thing and got a a tailor-made gift certificate, and neither one of us have ever had anything tailor-made in our entire lives, right? Uh, The closest thing was when I I needed a suit for, I think it was my wedding, Um, yeah, it might have been, I don't remember, but I went to JCPenney and they like measured my arm, and they're like, yeah, you're in that rack over there. Okay, That was the closest thing to tailor-made I had, and now Hannah has a gift certificate to tailor-made something. I don't know. Um, but that is the idea of the workmanship created by Christ Jesus, that's us, for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That's the suit you put on that wasn't the one off the rack at JCPenney's, but was rather somebody took a bunch of time so, uh, measuring you so that when you put it on, it fits perfectly. And that is the time that God spent in creating a purpose for you. So the first thing we see is that we will spend eternity with God revealing how much he loves us. We saw that in the first couple verses I read there. And then the second thing we see in our future is that God's designed a specific purpose for you. And I know I just said it, but I really want to just like camp on that for a second. Like, Think of the gravity of the things you do on a daily basis, and then trying to do something extra to, to tailor-make something for somebody. God has the weight of the universe on his shoulders. He's running it, making sure it's not failing. He is keeping everything in balance. He has all of the billions of people here on the planet to care about, and he took time to tailor-make a purpose just for you And we need to be willing to discover what that purpose is because it is an awesome part of the future that we have. So the first future is like eternity. But right now here on earth, as we look forward, we can be excited about the fact that God has a path set right before me and as long as I am actively seeking after God, I will find joy and I will find completeness in what he has made for me. So, Paul, after spending all this time talking about the gospel and how important it is to remember that you were dead. You were walking, following the wrong person. But God, rich in his mercy and grace, redeemed you. And in that redemption has given you a perfect purpose here on earth and will be showing you his grace and his kindness for eternity. But remember... And that's what Paul says here. Oh sorry, I actually brought Bopet. Some of you guys are like, did he forget about Bopet? I did. Um Bopet here is this this week I was looking for an example of like something that you remember. And so I started Googling images of nostalgic toys from different decades. And I was shouting across to our, our secretary. And I was like, hey, what do you think of this toy? Do you remember this one? Do you remember this one? Trying to find the best possible ones, because I don't trust my own judgment. And Dan, when I mentioned Bop-It, Dan from like the other side of the, the hallway was like, I got a Bop-It at home. And, and then I realized like, this is like a perfect example because not only is it super nostalgic and it's something a lot of us remember from either having kids or having grandkids or being a kid who played with one of these, ours was like straight. It wasn't, this is the extreme one, uh, but ours was straight like this one. It's also a game where you're supposed to remember what it said. So it says like bop it and you're supposed to smack it and not hit the wrong one. That example, a remembering example, is Paul. Remember, don't forget where you came from. You were dead. Jumps into this and this feels like a really hard shift. We were just real we were digging into the gospel. We were seeing a lot of the truth of by grace you've been saved. But now we see this. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles. He's speaking to the Greeks, the Ephesians. In the flesh, called the uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision. So it's basically the Jews were saying, you're not Jew, you're a Gentile. Which is made in the flesh by the hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, that idea of being dead, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants and promises, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, Paul, wait a second. We were gospel, 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 by grace, by grace, by grace. Why are you bringing this up? Well, the Jews had a very pointed view of you're either Jew or you're a Gentile. The Greeks who he was writing to was you're either Greeks and you speak Greek or you're barbarian. There is no middle ground. Either you conform to being Greek or you are barbarian. And what Paul is trying to remind them of is that, no, you weren't Greek Greek. And then barbarian or Jew and not Jew, you were dead. That's the only thing that mattered. You were dead. However, now you are not. By God's grace and God's mercy, you are no longer dead. You are no longer alienated as strangers. And Paul goes on to explain this in a little bit more depth as we read through the passage. But he gets to verse 19. And he says, so then you are no longer strangers. Remember right here, you were strangers to the commonwealth, alienated from Israel. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Let's bring this to today. We have the Greeks saying, well, if you're not Greeks, you might be barbarians. And the Jews saying, if you're not Jews, you are Gentiles. In our day and age, it might look like, well, if you're not a Republican, then you're a Democrat. Or if you're not vaccinated or vaccinated. Or rich or poor or you're this race or that. We have lots of lines that we like to draw and say you're either this or you're that. And what Paul is saying, those things are not the most important line. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses, walking, following the wrong companion. But... God made you alive. So now, you are members of the household of God. You're not Greek, you're not Gentile, you're not Democrat, you're not Republican. You are a member of God's family. In several other places in the the New Testament, it describes us as co-heirs to the gospel of Christ. We are adopted into God's family, which means we are equal heirs, all of us, not just some of us who are better at jumping than others, all of us, from the man who died on the cross and didn't have a chance to go and get baptized to the person who spent most of their life living in the church. We are all in God's family and we should treat each other as such. We should love each other in the same way that Christ did When he died on the cross, showing that richness of grace and mercy. And so if we begin to take even a piece of what Christ showed us and show that to the other people in our believing body here as Christians, things become totally different in how we interact with one another. It's no longer, hey, they had a differing viewpoint than me, we can't be friends, I'm going to cancel them on my social media and I'm going to completely act like they're not part of my life. It's I am a co-heir of the household of God and so are they. And if they are that too, we have the most important thing in common and we can act like that and love each other like that and we can overcome a lot of differences. If we can look at the love that Christ showed us, and remember that we were not Jew or Gentile, not Democrat or Republican, but dead and made alive by God's mercy, not our own. And so as I invite our worship team back up here today, we're going we're to sing the, the rattle song again. And I, I want to draw your attention to a certain phrase in that song. It says, open the grave, I'm coming out. I'm going to live again. You were dead, but God made you alive. We're going to live again. We are no longer dead. We are co-heirs in the household of God. Let me pray as they come up. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your truth of your gospel and what you did for us with your mercy and your grace. Thank you for the truth that you loved us even when we were sinners, and I pray that as we look around at the, the fellow believers here in this church that we love in the same way that even when we have disagreements and uh, differences that we show your love and your grace and we overcome those differences in a way that brings you glory. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Today's message was brought to you by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email info at or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.